Man, what I wanted to do was um, first, I um, wanted to acknowledge the day. Uh, today is Mother's Day, and we want to acknowledge those of you who are moms in here. Um, your job, your task, uh, the commission that God has called you to is grand. It's really hard. And, you know, you give up your body for X amount of time while you're carrying, and then you give up your personal life while you're raising a child in the admonition of the Lord. And so we want to take a moment to acknowledge those who are moms among us. You guys are like superheroes in the flesh. We love y'all, we thank you. Uh, my mom is, is an amazing mom who, who raised me. Um, and I know the struggles and the pain that it is to, to be a mom by watching her raise two children. And so I wanna acknowledge you mothers out there. We thank God for you. But I don't wanna stop there because Mother's Day isn't roses and peaches for everybody. The reality is Mother's Day is a hard day for a whole lot of women. Um, Mother's Day is the day where some of us had a tragic event occur. Mother's Day is a day that reminds some of us that we're unable to carry. Mother's Day is a day to remind us of how our mother was not as Wonder Woman and not a superwoman, but rather we were abused by some of our moms and hurt by some of our moms. And so be before I paint the day with, with roses, I want to acknowledge that motherhood is amazing, motherhood is necessary, motherhood is beautiful, and it's to be celebrated. But I don't want to pretend as if Mother's Day is just some beautiful day for everybody. The reality is many of us in our own congregation, many of our members struggle with Mother's Day. It's a hard day for some of us. And so what we want to do is acknowledge that reality for some of you, for some of us, some of you who are watching online, Mother's Day may not be that thing for you, that day for you. Maybe it's a hard day for you. I'm sorry, we acknowledge that. And we're going to ask that Pastor Eric comes up and just leads us in prayer for our moms, and for all of our women, uh, God has been kind to give us shepherds who love you and know this about you and want to pray for you and love you. And if you're a person who Mother's Day is hard for, uh, there are elders here who will pray with you, who will listen to you. You can't fix it. You can't fix what happened. But we can love you. We can give our time to you. And so we celebrate and we dirge at the same time. Pastor Eric. Uh, repeat what uh, I'm going to repeat what Pastor Canaan said. We love you. We love you. Um, we want you to know that. And we're so thankful for our mothers. Let's pray. God, I, I come just seeking your face, seeking to know how to pray for these mothers who are going, who are going through so many different things. So I start off by just saying thank you for them. Thank you for blessing us, the amazing mothers who, who reflect you, who know you, who lean on, to, lean on you morning after morning, day after day.
they lean on you in the moments that it's really hard. They ask you for wisdom on a daily to, to discipline, to guide, to lead their homes and to direct their children. And I pray for them right now that you would strengthen them as they do this work that you've called them to do. Would you give them wisdom? Would you strengthen their souls right now? Would you give them hope? Would you give them hope that, that you will be with them every step of the way? That when it's hard, that you are there. That you're not only helping them to mold and shape their children, but you're molding, molding and shaping them for you, for your glory. Would they be able to connect the fact that you are doing work in them as you're seeking to mold and as they're seeking to mold and shape their children just strengthen them encourage them be with them right now god god our mothers need you i just pray that we maybe as husbands and as those who are around these mothers our singles whoever around these mothers, God, I pray that we would be a support and a love and care for them in their hardest times, whatever that looks like, God. If it's a prayer, if it's a hug, if it's a, if it's a I love you and I see you're working hard, I see you're trying, I see, I see you. God, I pray that we would see our mothers better. I pray that we would recognize them and and know that they their value today, God. So God, we trust that you will be, that you would strengthen them even now. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank y'all for praying with us. Let's pray for this morning's word. Father, uh, you said that your house is a house of prayer, so we won't neglect to pray. Would you fill us this morning with your Holy Spirit and remove from us the lies that we woke up with? The lies that you told our mothers that they're horrible mothers, shameful mothers. The lies that we're not worthy to come before your people today and sing praises because of what we did last night or the night before. The lies that we can't share, what is broken us, what is hindering us, what is harming us, what is hurting us, what is hampering us. We can't share it because people are going to look at us funny. The lie that we need somebody's approval other than you. The lie that we've come here to be serviced rather than to sing praises and, 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 and give glory to the king. I don't know what kind of lies these, these people, myself, 
There's myriad lies. But you are truth and your word is truth. And we will lean on your word this morning. Would the truth cast out all lies, all fear, all darkness. Would the truth recalibrate us, our wants, our wishes, our desires. Would they be in line with what you want for us this morning? Turn us from looking at ourselves and teach us to look at you. Not just this morning, but tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and inevitably, Lord, throughout the week, we start turning our eyes back towards ourselves. But I'm asking you, Lord, teach us not only how to pray, teach us how to turn and fix our gaze on the King of Kings, that everything comes into proper proportion because our eyes are fixed on you who is life, light, and truth. Goodness flows from you. You are the father of lights, O oh God. Our problems are different when we see them in light of you. The lies are obvious to spot when we see them and live in light of you. So, Father God, we are here this morning begging for more light, more truth, more of you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us bread this morning. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, my people. I'm, I'm Pastor Canaan is glad to be here again this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our series talking about elders in the church. We talked about two weeks ago, church members, and we welcome people into church membership. And by God's grace, hopefully next week, we'll be welcoming more people into church membership. And we talked about your responsibilities and the benefits of being a part of a local church officially. Well, this morning, like last week, we're going to talk about uh, church elders. As a recap, this is what we talked about last week. We talked about what an elder is and what he's not. And the first thing we said an elder is not is he's not the shot caller of the church. The, 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 the pastors are not the bosses of the church. Consider them the lead servants of the church. Their position, their job is to serve the people of the church. The pastors are not professional Christians. I know some of us feel like or think that pastors are professional Christians, but we're not. Our aim is to be mature believers who lead others to spiritual maturity. A pastor is not the hired one who does all the work. If you remember, we talked about the job of the pastor or elder is to equip the church to do the work. But what's happened is when we start hiring people within the church, we expect like a country club that those whom we've hired is to serve our every whim. Well, that's not how in God's economy he set up God's people. He's equipped certain people to be spiritually mature enough to lead others to maturity so that they can do the work. Because if there's a myriad of God's people doing God's work, then God's work is more robust than the community that he, served us, he sent us to. He didn't call you to be quiet Christian Monday through Friday, and then the pastor does all the real work. No, he's called you to be loud, talk about Jesus Christian Monday through Friday, and then you come and you get further equipped to be that Christian again for the next week. The pastor is not on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. 
I know some of our cultures have taught us and told us that the pastor is always on call. I don't know if y'all heard that, but pastor's always ready. Nah, bro, I ain't always on call. I'm telling you now. I have a wife and children too. I have to lead them too. I have sin issues that I need to be away in my prayer closet to deal with too. Right, so this time that I give to shepherding the flock, but even a shepherd, even a shepherd doesn't tend to the sheep 24 hours a day. There's a time where they're just in the pen, chilling. And there's a time when y'all just be chilling, encouraging, protecting, loving one another. The, the pastor is not, and this is prevalent in our community, the pastor is not the community fixer. I don't know what you think about your pastors, but they cannot fix your community single-handedly. The people, the, the God we serve can, but the prophets couldn't fix their community single-handedly. The apostles couldn't fix their community single-handedly. Why all of a sudden do we think that in this time, the pastor will be able to fix their community single-handedly? Noah, the pastor is a man. The, the task of the pastor is to lead people where God wants them to be. That is the duty of your pastors, your elders, is to lead you wherever God wants you to be. Notice I said where God wants you to be, not where you want to be. Notice I said lead you to where God wants to be, not where you're comfortable at. Because sometimes the shepherds had a thing, a stick, it was called a goad, and it would goad their sheep back onto a path because when they started to stray, the stick had a little point on it, and he'd poke them real quick, and they go back into the folds and would walk in line. Sometimes it hurts, it stings. Some, some of the things your shepherds may have to tell you about you. And we live in a culture where everybody's so sensitive. And so when somebody tells something about you, it's like, man, bump, then I'm canceling that dude. No. The people of God tell the people of God about themselves out of love and care for the person. Sin still creeps in sometimes with that. There could be a pride issue when I'm talking to you and it feels like I'm, I'm greater than thou and I'm telling you about yourself because I don't deal with that. That's there. That needs to get dealt with. That's sin. But when you've been walking with a brother or sister for X amount of time and they tell you that there's a, a flaw, there's a deficiency within you, something that I feel like that they feel like Jesus needs to address in you, that's love. That's care. Don't be so sensitive. Receive it. Sift it through the text and the scriptures. See if it's true. Ask other trustworthy people around you if that's true of you. And then let Jesus do work in that area. Let him change you. The pastor or the elder is a title given to those who are responsible for the care and oversight of the church to lead you to maturity in Jesus and to proximity to Jesus. That's all we want here at Pillar, and that's all the shepherds are going to lead you to. Maturity in Jesus and proximity to Jesus. We're going to try to get you as close to Jesus as we possibly can. Because leading you anywhere else is leading you astray. We talked about the three terms that are used for elder and pastor uh, for pastors in the Bible. They're synonyms, but they carry along nuances with them. We talked about presbyteros, which is the English word elder. And there's a nuance to that word. It's talking about somebody who's spiritually wise, somebody who's spiritually mature. Another word that you'll find in the text for this person is poimen. Poimen is how, where we get our English word for pastor. It denotes a shepherd, someone who has care, who cares for somebody. It's tender. And then there's episkopos, which is bishop. Or in your versions of the Bible, they'll say overseer, right? There's someone who oversees the direction or trajectory of something. 
These words are all synonyms speaking of one person or group of people who are leading God's people in a particular direction. And then the last thing we talked about last week was what do pastors do? And there's a myriad of things that pastors do, but the chief job of the pastor, firstly, is a ministry of prayer for you. And if you look in your cross-reference sheet, you see why we pray for you. In your cross-reference sheet, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the apostles lead the charge in this. They start the precedent where he says, we must devote ourselves to prayer. And the reason why we pray is that your faith may not fail you. Luke chapter 22 in your cross-reference sheet, verse 31 and 32, Peter is talking to Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, who's another name for Peter, Simon, Simon, look out. He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Verse 32. But I stopped him from sifting you like wheat. That's what the text says? No. Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you. The God-man, the Son, the King of heaven and earth didn't stop Satan from sifting Peter. He prayed for Satan. I mean, he prayed for Peter. My bad. Woo! Y'all can leave. I understand. Woo! Don't turn the channel. Woo! Told you we ain't perfect. Dang. He prayed for Peter. He lifted Peter up in prayer. And what did he pray for Peter? Look what the text says. He says, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What you don't see is the hours that your shepherds are on their knees praying for you, that your faith may not fail. Because we know it's hard out there in the streets. We know it's hard to maintain fidelity in your Christian walk when everything around you is pointing you away from Jesus. We know it's hard. And so we can't talk to all of you simultaneously. It's, just, it's impossible. We're not omnipresent like God is. But we can pray for you to the omnipresent one that your faith may not fail you in the midst of this hard walk in this world. And so we pray and we labor in prayer. I don't know about y'all, but how many of y'all, don't raise your hand, have truly tried to labor in prayer? What you quickly recognize is that prayer is one of the hardest things a believer can do. To die to yourself, to give up your so precious time, to get on your knees and speak unto God the, the, the issues, desires of my heart and those around me is laborious, it's hard, it's taxing. It's hard just to keep your mind straight for two minutes, right? Y'all be praying and you thinking about your to-do list and then you, ah, bring it back. And then you start praying and then your children come, hey, mommy, daddy, ah, you got to bring it back. You start praying and then you start having sinful, illicit thoughts come in your mind. You got, ah, you got to hold it captive to Christ and bring it back. Already it's hard. You didn't even pray for nobody yet. You're just trying to maintain some focus. But then you start thinking about the issues that your friends and your family are going through. That, that mug hurts when you know your people are hurting. Y'all got people you love. When they're in pain, you're in pain. And you dwell on it, and it hurts, and you want to stop. But our duty is to press. Press into that in prayer. Lean into that. Push that as close to the cross as you can get it, and ask God to do work. Ask him to change circumstances or to change people. But the idea is, Lord, we need you to act on this. Act in this person. 
Hold their faith that they may not fail. This morning, we're going to look at the other half of Acts chapter 6, verse 4. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Peter, uh, Peter says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And that leads us to the second thing that, the second primary thing that a pastor or elder is responsible to do is to give you a steady diet of God's word. It's to teach and lay the word of God bare on your soul. Somehow, some way, by the proclamation of truth, that it would land squarely on your mind, in your heart, and that it would begin to do what it does in you. Isaiah 55, 10, 11 says, As the waters fall down and do not return until they've watered the earth, so my word does not return void. Every time it's preached and proclaimed upon, uh, into your ears, it's doing something to you, whether you like it or not. It's beautiful. The Holy Spirit is ultimately responsible for the application of the word in your soul. Our duty is to make it clear, make it plain. This is what Jesus said about the word, and you can look at this in your cross-reference sheet. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, he says, man must not live on bread alone. You know what's sad? That's exactly what we tend to do, isn't it? Be honest. You live on bread 90% of the time alone and you feel spiritually deficient and we do nothing about it but jesus tells us man does not live does not grow is not nourished by pure physical food by itself he must live on eat digest allow it to do what it does in our cells and nutrients that it provides he must do that he must live off the words that come out of god's mouth i listed some things that the word does the word Second, 1 Peter 2, 2 gives us this principle. The word is sustenance for our soul, and it cultivates growth and maturity in, in, from spiritual babies to spiritual adulthood. The word is a guiding light. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, Psalm 119, verse 105. The word of God is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, complete for every good work for 2 Timothy 3.16. This is the benefits of the word in you. The word of God is how you calibrate your value system. We pick and choose our values based on what our history and our culture has told us. That's wrong. We pick and choose and manipulate our values based on what the scriptures teach our values ought to be. The word of God is how we validate our ethics and our morality. We can't have a subjective morality. Your morality cannot be different. Your ethic cannot be different than this person's morality because when they clash, whose morality is right? And they will clash. There has to be some kind of standard that dictates and determines what's truly right and what is wrong in any given particular situation. Sometimes it's foggy and sometimes it's hard work on this side of heaven because we, we mush stuff in the mud. But, but there has to be some kind of a subjective, over, I mean, uh, objective, overarching, uh, overarching rule that governs our morality. Is murder right in this culture and wrong in this? No. Because when they clash, we don't know who's right. Well, God determines and dictates it because he's the one who created us and we live by the character of his being. Breaking God's law isn't just doing what 
God said don't do. Breaking God's law is doing anything that's inconsistent with his character. And that will dictate and determine what it is that is right to do, what it is that is wrong to do. And the word of God will, will calibrate that for us. The word of God is the revelation of God. And it leads us closer to God. The word of God is uniquely formulated to quicken and feed your spiritual life. Now, let me ask y'all this, rhetorical. What do, what's spiritual? What does that mean? What's, what's that mean? When somebody says, I'm spiritual, what are they talking about? They're mystical, usually, is where it comes up. But what does that mean, spiritual? I feel, I feel something in my spirit. Y'all ever hear somebody say that? I feel it in my spirit. What are you talking about? And I don't say that like it's not true. I'm saying, what are you talking about? Because we haven't even defined it. We've let this word run rampant around us. I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually a certain way. What does it mean? And how does the word of God pertain to it? Spiritual or spirituality is a compilation of the non-physical. It's not one singular thing. It's a compilation. It's a gathering together. It's a mixing, a solution, a mixture of several things together. Spiritual spirituality includes your mental faculties because it's part of the composition of the non-physical. Spirituality is your emotional state because a part of the composition of the non-physical. Spirituality is your moral compass calibration, right? How you dictate what is right and wrong. That's spirituality. Spirituality is your motivation and your will. That has to do with the, your spiritual condition. But more than all these things, spirituality is a non-corporeal conscientious, is your non-corporeal conscientious nature. It's the thing that God quickened in you to give you spiritual life. I'm going to do a, a little sermon on that in the upcoming week, so I'm not going to dwell there. If you want to grow in your spiritual maturity and your proximity to Jesus, a steady diet of God's word is essential. And it's the duty of the pastor to lay God's word bare on your heart. And that's why typically at Pillar, we do something called expository preaching, where we walk through a particular book of the Bible, and the aim is to expose whatever the author is trying to tell you. So very seldomly do we pick topics like membership and elders to preach on. Usually, you grab, and it's harder to do it this way too, just grab a book. What is the author saying to his people, and how does that relate to my people? That's the task. And it's our duty to teach what God says despite what you want to hear. This is what it says in the Look in Your Cross Reference Sheet in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. This is Paul exhorting Timothy and all pastors everywhere. This is what he's telling us to do. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That's already, that seems like a lofty task. I don't know about y'all. Preach the word and, and always be ready. It says to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And this is why. 
And I believe the time is upon us. In fact, it was upon them. It never left. The time is constantly upon us. This is what it says in verse 3. For the time will come when people won't, won't tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. That's happening now in and around God's people because we've allowed something other than God's word to influence us. And it's the duty of the pastor, the elder, the overseer to recalibrate and direct you back to where God wants you, which is squarely fixed on the person of Jesus and the word of truth. But not only is our job to encourage you and to teach you, our job also is to guard you, to protect you spiritually, uh, uh, doctrinally. Paul tells another pastor, his pastor's name is Titus, that his job, his duty is not just to teach the word of God, but look at it in your cross-reference sheet, Titus chapter 1, verse 9. He says, holding to that faithful message as taught so that we will be able to both encourage with sound teaching, we know that already, that's what we, our, our aim is to do, but also refute and contradict, uh, and also refute those who contradict it. So part of the role of a shepherd, a pastor, an overseer is to refute uh, false teaching that may be permeating God's people in and around our community. And guess what? That takes a whole lot of time and a whole lot of study and a whole lot of prep and a whole lot of uh, observation to do. I want you to think about this. We need to know what cults are lingering around our neighborhoods in order to refute false doctrine, do we not? We have to know the worldview that's permeating our neighborhoods based on whatever they're eating that the television has been feeding them. I know if you watch too much, this is us. I can tell by what you say and how you say it. This is us ain't biblical. It may be a good story, but we can't use that. Oh, there's a certain scene got me so mad. Just scream, get it all out. He screams anyway. I'm like, that solves your problem, screaming in the water. And then people are like, yeah, just scream. It makes you better. And I scream, and you open your eyes, and problem sitting right there, look at you. It didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. This dude ain't Jesus. Them writers ain't God. What's permeating our people? I know I done hit a nerve with some of y'all. This is us. I know. It's a good show, though. I'll be watching it sometime. We need to know what what's your value system. We need to know who and what influences you in order to know what portions of God's word is applicable to your soul at this particular moment. Now, it doesn't mean that we're to refute or contradict those who may make a mistake in their doctrine every now and again, because we all do that. We all have flaws in our understanding of God's word. We all think we understand it, but then there's portions of it like, ah, oh, I'm really not sure. Uh, and we're not called to refute that. It's those who, who, those who, who, who purvey false teaching that our job is to refute and to contradict. But we don't do it as many of you guys would think. The job of the pastor isn't necessarily to go into all the town squares, find somebody who thinks differently and stop beefing with them. The way in which you refute and contradict sound doctrine is by teaching you truth and sound doctrine. If you want to know if a stick is crooked, you don't got to go and show somebody its angle. Just drive a straight one right next to it. And then you can, then you can tell, wait a minute, that joint I thought was straight until I saw this joint. You ever been in a room that was freshly painted and the walls look white until you see the ceiling? Right, just painted a house, right? You look at the walls like, oh, it's white, and you see the ceiling, oh, that's white. My bad, right? All you gotta do is drive a straight right next to it and the truth will, will show itself. 
Our job is to teach you God's word, to be able to decipher what's true and what's false so that you can do what God has called you to do and be, to be somebody who's equipped to do the work of the ministry in your neighborhood, on your block, with your neighbors. It would be a disservice as a shepherd or an elder to not teach you how to fish for yourself. And that's why in, when we were studying the book of Jude, uh, the Contending for the Faith series, there was a sermon that was called Caught Up Part 2. And in Caught Up Part 2, I, I tried to show you guys, this is how you study God's word when your shepherds and elders are not teaching you God's word. These are the words you're looking for. This is how you circle. This is how you make connections between the Old and the New Testament. This is how you evaluate which covenant this particular command is coming from and why that matters. So I commend that to you if, if you desire to study the scriptures on your own. But our duty is to give you a healthy diet of scripture. I don't know if you remember, but last week I talked about how elders and pastors are judged more severely. They'll be judged with more strictness, those who teach. Well, there's a, a carryover from that from the Old Testament. And the reality is that God does not like shepherds who fatten themselves at the expense of the flock. Look in your cross-reference sheet at Ezekiel 34. While you're looking at that, I know that it's prevalent in our, com in our communities, in our, in, our, in our era, to have shepherds and pastors fleecing the flock, taking from them, just, just, just benefiting off of their back, yet not rendering care and service unto the sheep that they're caring for. I know it's prevalent, and I know it's burned some of y'all, and I know it's caused trust issues for some of you with those in, in leadership positions. It's true, but I want you to know that God is on your side. He doesn't like that either. Look what he says in Ezekiel 34. He tells this to Ezekiel. He says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. And that first word right there, woe. Woe was a sentiment of destruction. Woe was a sentiment of fear. When you see somebody say woe in the text, it usually means whatever's coming is dreadful for that person. Woe to this thing. Okay, that's a big word in the text. Woe to these shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you don't tend the flock. You've not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick. You've not bandaged the injured. You've not brought back the strays or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd and became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. Let's look at that verse with a little more detail. It says a little bit in the first paragraph, woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Let me tell you this. If you, if you are under the care of a shepherd who everything they ask of you is to benefit them, woe unto that shepherd and slow down on following that shepherd. If they're the beneficiary of all that you do collectively, it's a problem. That's not the job of the sheep in the, in the flock. It says right after that, shouldn't the shepherds feed the flock? That should be a foregone conclusion, but it's not. Even in this day, in the Old Testament times, there were shepherds who were fleecing their flocks. It was happening then, it's happening now, because people don't change like that. We always like to say, well, if I was, well, you were, you did the same thing. 
Verse 3 says this. It says you eat the fat, you wear the wool, you butcher the fat in animals, but you don't tend the flock. Now let's be careful. That does not mean that a, that a, a shepherd or an elder or a pastor is not worthy of receiving a salary from the church. The idea is that if everything we're doing is to suck the life out of those whom we're supposed to be caring for, then it's a problem. If I lock them doors and tell you you can't leave until you tie the $150, that's a problem. And you know what? Some of y'all been up in places like that. Some of you have experienced stuff like that. The shaming because you're not giving to the shepherd. If you give to the shepherd, it's out of a love in your heart for the king of kings who has called you to ensure that your shepherds are cared for enough to be able to care for you. But I can't shame you into doing that. And, and woe to me if I ever do. It's a mini job description that comes in verse 4. I want to explain them a little bit, just lightly, briefly. Verse 4 says this, you have not strengthened the weak. Right? It's, the do, it's the job of the shepherd to strengthen those who are spiritually immature, those who are spiritually weak. There are some of us who are so easily influenced, so easily disturbed, so easily shaken in our faith. The littlest things happen, and we're like, oh, man, I don't even know if God is real, man. It's a problem. Dude. And it's like, what happened? My boss told me he was disappointed with me. And that's some of you. I'm sorry, but that, that, that's weak sauce. You be all right. You be all right. I promise you be all right. It's the job of the shepherd to lead you, to remind you, you're going to be okay. God is sovereign. You're his child. It's cool. Let's work through this mug. I want to strengthen the weak, but it's also to bandage the injured. Many of us in this place and in other places have been abused by other people. They've been bitten by those whom they thought were friends, those who they thought were loved ones. They've been abused by those very people. And it's the job of the shepherd to help bandage those wounds. Notice it doesn't say heal them. We can't heal them, but we can tenderly care for them. We can bandage those wounds in the truth of God's word and saturate that mug with love, care, perspective. The job of the pastor is to bring back the strays. There are some people who are on the brink of leaving the church, and they're leaving the church because some of them, because they feel like they're not getting answers to their most deep questions. What's the job of the shepherds to help care for those people, to engage those people, to speak to those people? There are some people who are leaving the church because they feel like God is not good. It's, it's, it's called theologically, it's called theodicy. It's a defense of God's righteousness in the face of evil, right? They say, well, well, because evil exists, God can't be real or good. And it's our job to show you, well, your statement defeats itself. God exists because if evil exists, then God must. And let's see what the truth of God's word says about this evil. What is God doing in and with this thing that we call evil? Did he not redeem all of humanity through something called murder? God can use and change and shift evil for his glory. Not only to bring back the strays, but our job is to seek the lost. There are people who are walking our streets who know not about the salvific work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. That 2,000 years ago, God took on human flesh, entered into our own creation, and gave himself as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. He basically substituted himself for us on that cross so that those who have sinned yet have faith in Jesus will have eternal life and will have close proximity to the Son of God. He has saved us from God's wrath. In love, he redeemed us. And it's the job of the shepherd to go out and tell the masses of that. What's the benefit for you for that? Because you engage with the world on a daily basis. And if your shepherds are not engaging with the world, then how can we equip you to engage with the world? So it's the duty of your shepherds, your elders. This is one of the things I love about Pastor Eric. Pastor Eric talking about talking to everybody about Jesus. 
He don't care. He'd be like, he'd be like yeah, man, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Yeah, but you, let me tell you the gospel. Eric talks to everybody he knows about the gospel. And it's inspiring to my soul, and it leads me to desire. He shepherds me in, in engaging those who don't believe. Telling them about the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, instead, these, elders, these, these shepherds were ruling with violence and cruelty. And the, the, the sheep were scattered for lack of a shepherd and became food for the wild animals. And our job is to keep you from becoming food for these animals. The last thing that I'm going to look at this morning when it comes to elders is something that you're, some of you have been beneficiaries of but may not know on a wide scale. And that's to do what every Christian is called to do, but to bear the burdens of the people. Look at your cross-reference sheet in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Now, before we read this, know this. This is not the job of the elders alone, but there's a, there's a statement that's true. What should be, ought to be true of every Christian must be true of, of the pastoral elders. Right? What ought to be true of every Christian must be true of pastors and elders. Bless you. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken by any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual will restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens in this way, and you will fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, many, some of you, I just want to, don't raise your hand. Many of you have been that person who is used to bearing the burdens of those around you. What does that do to you? What kind of weight does that put on your shoulders and your knees? That's hard work, right? When, when, have you ever been the, the, the guy or the girl that everybody goes to with their problems? There's, there's some of that among us, right? You're the, you're the one that receives all the phone calls. That's a burden. That's a weight. That's a pressure. Yet it's a blessed calling that God has called you to and me to. When we do a, a membership interview, after you've done a membership class at Pillar Church, I ask you what your gifts are, what your skills are, what is it that God blessed you with. And if you're somebody who's skilled in counseling God's word and taking on the burdens of other people, I'm going to distribute people to you so that we can fulfill the command of Paul to bear one another's burdens. Because if you leave it only on the shepherds, their knees will buckle. This is everybody's job. We lead in it. We give example for it. And then you follow in that direction. Guys, I'm telling you what a pastor is supposed to do because it's so prevalent as to what pastors aren't you. So many people don't know what pastors are supposed to be doing to you, for you, for your health and for your growth. Many of us have grew up in church and you've never heard any kind of an explanation as to what a pastor does. All y'all think is that he shows up on Sunday, opens the word, starts teaching y'all something. Nah, B. The week is heavy. And if you're the family member of a pastor or you're a friend of a pastor, then you see the weight of the pastor crying in the middle of the week. Man, what's wrong? I don't even know. There's weight on my shoulders. Nobody understands. Weight on their shoulders. Nobody gets. Nobody else feels it. But the scripture says to carry one another's burdens. And there's some of you who I've been blessed to carry the burden with. And, and Pastor Eric and Pastor Derek has been blessed to carry the burden with. But I want to tell you this, you're only healed in the degree in which you share. And if you don't lay your burdens on somebody, they will break your own knees. And I implore you, as you gather together as God's people, to share your burdens with one another. 
because Satan would have you think you're weird for not sharing the issues that you are going through and encountering in this world. You're not weird, you're human. Those issues, everybody got them. Everybody's struggling. Ain't nobody got it together. But if you share not, we cannot fulfill the command that God has given his church, which is to bear one another's burdens. And so I tell you, the elders are open for you, ready for you, want to hear from you. But know this, it's not just us. Y'all got to do it with one another. That's how you build love and trust between people. Verse 3 says this in Galatians 6. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person then examine his own work. And then he can take pride in himself alone. Not compare him, comparing himself with someone else. But each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all his good things with the teacher. Paul understands that when his sheep bear one another's burdens, and then they share that good news with the shepherd, how good that feels to know that the body is doing what it's supposed to do. There's, remember when I told y'all I got 27 pages of notes? Y'all feeling the heat now. We're going to stop there, but next week we're going to look at what are the qualifications of an elder? What is it that we need to look for in those men in terms of character, skill set? But for now, we know that the chief end of a pastor is to pray that your, that your faith may not fail and to give you a healthy diet of God's word that you may grow in maturity and proximity to Jesus. If the pastor's not doing those two things, he's missing the first two, the first two uh, commands of his calling, to pray for you and to give you God's word. I pray this week that you would reciprocate that and that you would pray for your pastors of this church and pastors of churches across the city. Lift them up because most of their phone calls are bad. But we feel the prayers of our saints who are praying for us. Lift up your, your shepherds. Show them that you love them. Remind them that they matter. Speak God's word and let it change you. Amen. Uh, Lord, there's a more attractive way to package some of these teachings, but I want it to be raw. I think that sometimes we get lost in the packaging and we miss the truth. The truth is that the duty of a shepherd is to lead his people closer to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless our people to be led closer. And that as we lead our people closer to you, then we're able to see transformation within our community because there's an army of saints who are working together in one trajectory under the banner of one king, working toward the health uh, of, of your glory and the health of, of all your creation together. There's an army of them doing it in their community. It's not just one person, depending on one grouping, but it's all of us working together. And Lord, I pray that you would give your shepherds uh, favor in leading this people in that way. That East Fort Worth changes, not because the city pours money into it. No, because armies of Christians mount up and do the work in the ministry in the city. And that it sees Jesus everywhere, that the volunteers at the schools are believers leading these children to Christ, that the people who teach are leading people to Christ, that those who are running for office are leading people toward the Savior, that those picking up the trash will be leading people to the Savior, to those who cut the grass will be leading people to the Savior, to those who pump the gas, to those who work at the Quickie stores. Lord, that they're leading people to Jesus. It takes the, the village to do this work. 
called me the other shepherds to lead our people in that work to engage them to to calibrate them to charge them to not let them be lazy in their faith and I pray that you would give them the fruit of regeneration as they speak the gospel to those around them that they would see a soul cross from spiritual darkness to spiritual life and as they see that occur it would give them flames that their bones would be lit on fire to proclaim the, the goodness of the king that as they counsel their brother or sister and see them led closer to Jesus and see God heal them before their eyes from various trials and ills, that it would be contagious to them, that they would want to do nothing other than to lead other people closer to you because we see the fruit of that. That it's believers putting together these programs for our city, that it's believers who are fighting for the restoration of those who are underserved and under underprivileged that it's believers who are leading them closer and closer to the savior to that all the programs all the the, the the services that are provided are built to aim not only for the good of them physically but to the good of them spiritually and fill us lord with your holy spirit charge us to be different than we were coming in help us to love one another well we want to be careful to give you all the praise. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Christ's name.